Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Again, it's so wonderful to be with you. And we've been doing a uh, really a four-part series. Today's a fourth part of leadership blind spots uh, that we have in ourselves and around us that cripple us from what God has for us. So today is the fourth, which is called uh, a wrong view of success, uh, a wrong view of success. So right now I'm in my office and uh, we're going to imagine that you're right here sitting across from me uh, behind my computer. We're going to have a conversation about success. And so you're a leader uh, serving in some capacities or a pastor uh, in a church or in your nonprofit or perhaps in the marketplace where you serve. And uh, I would imagine you asked me the question, Pete, so how would you uh, how, do you, how do you define success? So what I'd like to do is I, I just made a list. If I was having this conversation with you of some things that I want to talk to you about, and I, I've got nine here, actually. And uh, so the first few obviously have a bit greater weight, uh, and they overlap into the ones that will follow. So well, let's just go jump right into it, okay? So I'd say, first of all, success is, uh, number one, your communion with Jesus. It's being with Jesus before you do uh, for him. And so the question I want to ask you about is, you know, how are you doing with that uh, in terms of your communion, your rhythms of being with him? I mean, the number one priority of my life uh, is to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow him, to listen to him, to, to be with him. And so I'm monitoring uh, every day and actually throughout the day, and I'm monitoring every week and every month and through quarters and dec years and decades, how are my rhythms of communion, of being with Jesus, out of which I do for him? And uh, so this has led me, uh, as many of you know, beginning from 2003 when I uh, had this immersion into monasticism to the daily offices where I structure my days uh, in a rhythm of not just spending time with God in the morning, as I've kind of always done in my as a good evangelical, I had my devotions and my quiet time, uh, but actually moved it to more of the monastic rhythms uh, of fixed hour prayer, morning, midday, uh, and minimally uh, compline, or before I went to bed, or compline, uh, and often doing a fourth evening prayer. And uh, that has been very critical for me. Uh, and I, I'm not legalistic about it. I, I, I miss you know an office, but I, I know it's just always coming around. And because I see myself first as a as a contemplative, first a uh, a person who seeks Him above all else. You know, Matt, Psalm 27:4. David writes, "You know, one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek." that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. And you know, David was running a whole country. He was in charge of the army. He had enemies outside the gates trying to kill him. But for him, his number one goal in life was you know, being with the Father, being being in his face. So this idea of praying always, uh, out of you know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, you know, or John 15, abiding, abide in me, and you know, you'll bear much fruit. And so this, this, this sense of, uh, I want to live my life of abiding, of in conversation, in, in, in remembering Jesus. So whether it's even preparing this podcast, as I made some notes uh, last week, uh, and I picked it up this morning and kind of redid the order and, and added a few things. But I, I'm, I'm just going slow. I'm, I'm willing to let go of timetables. And my constant prayer is, God, not my will, but your will be done. And, uh, and I'm kind of under this success marker. Like I'm, I'm listening. And so I'm 
I have to I have to diligently work hard at not being overloaded or overcommitted. And I actually I want to be the message. I want to be what I'm living. That want to encourage you. You want to be what you preach. You, you that we want to invite others to live into a lifestyle that's inside of us. And because the the doing of life, um, the activity of stuff can be like crack. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your body's wired, uh, and it's just it, it's it just drives a wedge between your communion and ongoing sense of joy and being with Jesus. And so I've got lots of silence in my days um, uh, every day. I mean, I that's one of my indispensable spiritual practices of just being with him. And, um, you know, not just not just kind of a free silence, but actually intentional silence of being in the presence of, of God, you know, surrendering my will to his. Of course, weekly Sabbath is key to me. And being spending you know, time in scripture is... You know, very core daily, and and then I try to have longer Sabbaths, not just a weekly Sabbath for 24 hours, but extended Sabbaths when I can, when it's a holiday. Uh, Jerry and I just came off a, a four-day uh, Sabbath, which was wonderful. And but I want to. The point is, it's making that priority daily, is and daily, and just making the time to say, how am I doing in my communion with Jesus and my being with Him? It's quite challenging. That's the first marker of success. Uh, because if that's not set, and regardless of what other successful markers you may have in your life <clears throat> and how you're doing, uh, you're, it's not a success. That's This is number one. All right? Number two, uh, success is embracing the season God has for you. Uh, success is embracing the season God has for you. Uh, again, there, if you can think of seasons of fall, winter, spring, and summer, uh, ministries go through seasons our, our lives go through seasons and and again we may be in a, a fall where it looks like things are dying uh, are going down to the ground or a winter where things really are growing under the ground but it doesn't look very good it's not spring or summer but uh it, it's embracing it's asking the question what season am i in right now and and what season is what i'm leading in um uh, and i remember for example, uh, having to beat this into my head when we were actually buying a building a number of years ago, and it was a five-year process, and uh, it was just hard, especially when we started raising money uh, you know, and asking people in our church to invest. I knew it was really important spiritually for the long-term health of our church, but it was not a season where we were we were getting a ton of visitors. Um, and I don't think we were overdoing the you know, we did a couple of campaigns and all that. and But it was just a season of deepening and also just pruning because our vision was, I think, became very, very clear uh, and forced us to be crystal clear into where we were going. And, and then it became clear that some people weren't that excited about that vision. Um, and that was okay. But it's, it's you know, thinking about the season of your life, um, whether you have small children uh, single or married, or maybe it's a season of, of significant study, uh, or a season of resisting, you know, powerful temptations coming your way. But the problem is that the, the, in the context we live in is that, you know, success, of course, is it's not about communion with Jesus, nor is it about embracing the season you're in. Success is about numbers growing and, uh, you know, getting greater numbers and, and uh, something we can tangibly control and, you know, show to others and to ourselves that, the pharaoh inside of ourselves that we're okay. And again, not the numbers are bad, but when all we do is measure numbers, it's very dangerous. And um, again, the most important question is, is success is, remember, first and foremost, doing doing what God has asked us to do, 
doing it his way and doing it in his timing. I'll say that again because it's so important. You want to memorize this. You know, success is, is first and foremost doing what God has asked me to do, doing it his way, and then doing it in his timing. And so that's why your ministry or organization that may be growing, but actually failing. <clears throat> and I think we have John the Baptist, whose ministry diminished as Jesus came up to the forefront and eventually died, you know, in prison there with his head cut off. And I think of the prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, uh, didn't have a lot of external fruit to show for it. It was for generations that will follow that really were reaping the benefits of, of their ministry. Amos, uh, leaving southern Judah, which was fruitful, at least more fruitful than northern Israel where he went, which we know he didn't have great success because northern Israel just never got its act together before they were exiled. And and uh, But yet here we are generations later reaping the, the, the fruit of his ministry. And I think of Jesus leaving the revival in Capernaum or the crowds walking away from him in John 6. He just, you know, for Jesus, success was embracing the season he was in. And... Uh, so you've got to ask that question before, God, what is God doing in you? What's God doing around you? And to make sure you're cooperating with that season and don't try to always be in spring uh, or in revival, however you define revival, uh, because <clears throat> that's clearly not biblical. Uh, but it's doing what God's asked you to do and his timing and in his way. Which leads now to the third, uh, I think, marker of success that I want to challenge you with is uh, you think about it, it's, it's, it's success is resisting temptations of the evil one, the demonic powers. Uh, success is, is resisting the temptations of the evil one or, or demonic powers. Now, again, as we just talked about, the, 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 universal, the most universal religion in the world is to be a, quote, earthly success, you know, and, uh, you know, to impress people, uh, to be popular and, or, or to have power or, uh, you know, like you've made it. And, and uh, you know, again, what's interesting, whether it's a street gang or a prison or a Fortune 500 country or a church or a sports team or politics, uh, everybody wants to kind of be one up on someone else and, and impress others. And that's why Jesus consistently went after the uh, religious leaders of his day and uh, basically went after them for everything you do is for people to see. Uh, you're making theater, you make your phylacteries wide and tassels long and want to be greeted with respect in the marketplace. And so success is having this, I know you, you may know it in your head, I'm talking about knowing in your bones that that uh, we're not into showtime here, we're not into personal advancement. And, and you know, I'm constantly monitoring, am I casting this vision of growth from my own ambitions or from the mouth of God? That's from Jeremiah 23, 16 to 20. Where Jeremiah goes after these false prophets and says, you're, you're, you're casting vision from inside of yourself, not the mouth of the Lord. And that desire to be great, uh, greatnessism, uh, is, is a disease. And whether it's the popularity of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and, and I do Twitter and Facebook uh, and Instagram, and I'd see it as part of the ministry to, as a leader, especially in the 21st century, but there's an enormous danger. Uh, where my life becomes based on, again, likes and retweets and versus what's God asking me to do with social media? What's my place in it? How, how do I fit into my, you know, how does this fit into my calling and what God you've invited me to do? And how do I do it in a way that's monitored, uh, that doesn't take over affecting my communion with you uh, or uh, getting me out of the seasons you have me in? So again, we were, you know, I love when Jesus says in John 5, 44, 
How can you believe when you accept glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the one who alone is God? The number one goal of most young people is to be famous or to be impressive. Uh, and we were created to be famous and impressive to God, uh, to be honored by him at the great honors banquet at the end of time, at the final judgment, when he hopefully will say, well done, good and faithful servant, and you've done his will. And, and, uh, and so, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're looking at the temptations and not, you know, I've been meditating of late on, on the temptations of the wilderness and Jesus there. And, uh, so struck again by, uh, in Matthew chapter four, for example, or Luke four, uh, when Jesus is tempted by the devil, where, where, you know, he gets tempted to turn these stones to bread and he's able to say, you know, humans do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I mean, he's just, he, he's, he's got scripture just on his, on in, inside of him. Uh, and he's just, you know, this is, it's, it's, I, I live out of words pouring out of, out of, out of God's mouth. And so I, so for Jesus, he's just, he's just so clear. And then when the devil takes him to the highest point of the temple, which is so interesting because, uh, one of the most surprising sources of evil, radical evil, is found uh, in the temple, uh, in, in, in God's church, uh, in a high place, uh, through a perverse use of scripture, the devil quotes scripture. That's why high places in church are dangerous. I'm not saying we, we shouldn't aspire to, to them because Luke 3, 1 Timothy 3 tells us to do that. But make no mistake about it, uh, they're dangerous places of temptation. And any of you in leadership uh, are, are exposed to a level of temptation that's 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 intense and you know jesus quote says to the devil you know again he quotes scripture do not put the lord your god to a test and in other words don't try to manipulate or force the hand of god you know ever and so i rec so these temptations the temptations of the wilderness come to every leader and they they and just like the devil came to jesus at certain points in his ministry like in you know in the great confession of peter or hanging on the cross these were incredible seasons of intense uh temptations uh and, and the temptations of the wilderness come in different forms, but they're pretty much always the same. Uh, I mean, the last temptation is, you know, worship, when the devil says, you know, bow to me for a minute, I'll give you all the success in the world. You'll be a great, you'll really build the kingdom. And, uh, you know, it's, it, and Jesus says, no, worship the Lord your God and worship him alone. And how easy it is for us to, to get confused about, we confuse the work of God for God. And uh, sometimes it can be difficult to, difficult to distinguish our work for God and God. And we're tempted to think that if our work advances, the glory of God advances, then we do almost anything to keep it from succeeding and making it happen. God forbid it ever fail. And thus we make our work God itself. And that's an incredibly dangerous line to cross. And we end up split from God. And again, one of the names for Satan is splitter. He wants to split you uh, from Jesus through any means possible. And so again, we just want to be uh, sensitive to the temptations that are coming our way and be aware of them that they are demonic out to split us from Jesus. Anthony the Great, uh, the great father of monasticism in, in one of his great desert father sayings said the following, uh, this is the great work of a man or woman, we'll add, always to take the blame for his own sins before God and to expect temptation until the last breath. Great wisdom of the desert to expect temptation till the last breath. Uh, this will not pass as you continue to grow and mature in Jesus as a leader. Well, the fourth thing to think about as you say, well, you know, how do I measure success and define it? 
uh, is success is trusting Jesus. And again, it overlaps with the others, but it's slightly different. Now, the whole purpose of the Christian life is to be trusting in Jesus. Now, the, the, whole, the whole purpose of the Gospel of John is to trust Jesus. And, um, you know, it says in, for example, the end of John, uh, it's mentioned 98 times the word believe or trust. It's, pre- it's a present tense word, 98 times just in the Gospel of John. Uh, it says Jesus performed many other signs in this book, but these are written that you may be trusting that Jesus is the Messiah. And that by trusting over and over, you may have life in his name. Uh, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is John 6, 28 and 29, where they ask Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Or actually, he doesn't say, there's only one major work, he says, uh, and it is to, to believe or to trust. Or as one commentator says, to relax in the one he has sent. I mean, that is my first work. Uh, it relates to, of course, number one, communing with Jesus. And, uh, but it's, it's a slightly another angle to take it that my life is trusting, relaxing in Jesus. It's a lot of work. But Jesus says, you know, what's the works? Plural, they ask. Because there's lots of works you can be involved in each day. But the foundational work of all the work is to be trusting, to be relaxing. I like the word relaxing in the one he has since. Uh, and uh, it's really the source and the foundation of obeying all the other commands that I'm trusting in them because of fear and anxiety and pride, all those things, they just get us into other works. And so relaxing relaxing in Jesus is success. Uh, and I can feel that in my body when I'm in a good place. All right, number five uh, is success is knowing uh, for me that Jerry, my wife, that she feels loved and lovable. She's my first neighbor. And that our my cup, our cup as a couple, is overflowing and as a sign and wonder for Jesus. And that's our we 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 give out to the world out of our cup. And the same thing if you're single listening to this, that 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 the people closest to you, uh, in community, that they feel loved and lovable. Your first neighbors that surround you, that that you're not so busy you miss them, and uh, that your your singleness is a sign and wonder and it's the world we we serve. So again, after Jesus, uh, my 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 vocation after as being a you know following Jesus is is again your marriage or your singleness. And so for me, it's investing time, energy, and thought uh, into being uh, a husband uh, that causes Jerry uh, to feel it uh, loved and lovable. That I invest the time and energy into it, and so. And this morning we had a conversation about uh, a couple of issues around our daughters, and I realized uh, I was just skimming over them, and you know, I need to I need to put a little time into it and put some time into it. And that's why I did something to hurt Jerry yesterday, and I took some time, and you know she, uh, I gave a flippant forgiveness, which she then brought it to me again later in the night, and she was right, and uh, just needed to do the, the work of just listening and being present and asking forgiveness, and but I'm, I'm monitoring my, our oneness. Uh, all the time, and I adjust my life accordingly. Uh, so we're always working on our marriage, not just keeping up to date on a daily basis or weekly basis, but we're we're learning and reading, and you know we've done seasons of therapies for years. And uh, again, I think we went to two or three marriage kind of whether it's a conference, it was a seminars to learn uh, this past year. But we're talking about more than a date night, and lots of folks that do a date night kind of in this perfunctory way, but they're not actually uh, investing in their marriage 
uh, as a sign and wonder. So uh, I, I'd, I'd encourage you to pick up the chapter in the emotion of the leader, lead out of your marriage or single. It's got, it's got a really good theology. But I know it's God uh, when something's not going or not getting the kind of time it needs. Everything's stable, but it's not overflowing. Or again, the standard of a sign and wonder, I know it's God inviting me to slow down uh, to get that right. So that's the fifth. The sixth uh, way I look at success or I'm kind of measuring on a daily, weekly, quarterly basis is um, um, success is receiving the gift of limits from God. Um, success is receiving the, the gift of limits. Uh, now, for me, my greatest sins of leadership have revolved around not embracing limits but crossing them. It remains one of my greatest temptations to this day, and it, it just brings, it just entices me into rebellion or anxiety or impatience. And again, this all goes back to Adam and Eve and the rebellion of Genesis 3. There, you know, as more than one commentator has pointed out, it was not just, re the rebellion of God was manifested in crossing the limit of not eating from the tree, uh, right there in the middle of the garden. And the same thing with Matthew 4, the temptation of the devil, Jesus was to, uh, in the wilderness, was to not embrace the Father's limits timetable-wise. And then John the Baptist does embrace his limits. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I have three visions by lunch. Uh, I have a lot of energy, a lot of, you know, and I, I just, I'm, I see opportunities, I get excited. And so uh, success for me is uh, embracing, uh, taking the time to actually embrace limits and looking at, okay, if I do this, how much time is this actually going to really take? Uh, and what is it going to be the cost to other things I believe God said to me? And so daily, weekly, yearly, it's just, am I embracing limits? And, and uh, when I find myself rushing or my body is all keyed up, I know I'm in a bad place. That's why you know, the loaves and the fishes miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is in every gospel, all four gospels. Outside the resurrection, I don't believe there's another miracle in every, in every gospel, but Jesus multiplying the loaves and fishes. Why? Because that is such a critical, profound, bottomless miracle. There is so much in that miracle. There's so much teaching in it. And so to bring my few loaves and fishes, I always feel like I have so little to offer. Uh, it can be anything from the time it takes to prepare a sermon to, um, you know, exercise a kind of leadership to accomplish something. It's just... I have so little to give, and uh, and yet if I will continually hand this to Jesus, embracing my limits, I find that he does somehow mysteriously multiplies them, multiplies the time, the energy, and does something way different than I ever imagined. But I can't really quite see how it happened. I just know he just did it. Uh, and again, it was about him, not me. And But that letting go, that surrendering of my will to his will, I, I can't tell you how often... I go back to the loaves and the fishes. I mean, I just go back to it because it's just, I'm there. Uh, and it enables me to trust him and to let go of trying to control an outcome and just embrace my limits. So, of course, this uh, comes out in, in just stopping for Sabbath weekly and just letting everything go, uh, surrendering my will to his will. It, it comes out in aging as I'm growing older and just aware of limits or, or get actually even stronger as one ages and embracing that uh writing i again i've got enough thoughts and of writing projects for the next uh for, to live to 150 uh and then even then i probably wouldn't be finished and just be able to embrace that and say it's okay uh 
All right, let's move on to number seven here, uh, seven, eight, nine. So the seventh way I look at success, and I invite you to do the same, is success is, is uh, I'm continually experiencing transformation. So the question to you is, are you continually experiencing transformation in Jesus? Uh, in other words, at every season of your life, uh, regardless of what your age is and how long you've been a disciple of Jesus and a, and a leader, that you're just experiencing transformation. Uh, you're, not, you're not just giving out to other people. Uh, you're not just you know, doing your kind of your, your spiritual practices. You're actually experiencing transformation. You're growing. You're seeing God in Jesus. It's, this is your lifetime work. It's, it's an eternal work for all of eternity. But I'm growing. I'm looking at, am I growing? Am I investing time in um, in that? Whether it's journaling or how I read. It, you know, this needs more time, not less. Actually, I think as you get older. But I'm talking about the way that we read, the, the way that we listen. Uh, you know, it, it takes repeated hearing of things to actually let it get into you. Um, and in fact, um, I mean, today, my own time with Jesus this morning, uh, I, I just, I, I, like God just like spoke to me through this text of, here in the text, you had Pilate's wife having a revelation of Jesus through a dream at the, at the time of the crucifixion. And then you got the religious leaders who know the Bible, pray, fast, do all that stuff, preaching, and they're mocking, they're mocking Jesus on the cross. Here's God hanging on a cross, and they totally miss it. They're mocking him. Come down over here, the Son of God. And yet Pilate's wife, who's a pagan, an outsider, she sees it because God gives her a dream. And I thought, oh, my goodness. You know, how often is it that the insiders, like me, don't see it? And folks who are outside, orthodoxy, do see some things. And like the Magi and Pilate's wife and, and how arrogant I can be and have been about folks who... I would consider unorthodox uh, or you know, non-Christians or definitely outside of biblical orthodoxy and I make judgments on them and yet they may have a revelation I can't see at all. And uh, you know, yet God's coming to me through them. And I just, so I had to just sit with that for a while this morning and make some applications of my own heart. I'm not done with it. But I mean, it's like, you know, I'm leading a pilot course with a number of pastors and leaders. I'm going through the Emotional Spirituality course section by section you know, chapter by chapter. Uh, and I'm just so aware that some just zip through the book. We just zip through the book. I read it, yeah, got that, got that. But it's not been read prayerfully and thoughtfully. It's not gone in. Uh, it's just head. It's just head knowledge, not experience. So the question is, is your is your transformation experiential actually in your life or is it just kind of head learning? I've been around too long to have much interest in knowledge learning or head learning without it being in our experience because wisdom comes out of life uh, not knowledge that we just spout off in the pulpit and so success is again taking the time to actually be maturing yourself in jesus and growing in christ the eighth is this I, success is being present with the people around me uh it's being present it's 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 seeing people like jesus like martin buber martin buber had a big impact on me as you know this great hasidic you know, he had this visions and revelations, but he wasn't present with people. And he, uh, at one point, I won't go through the whole story here, you know, this guy came to him for counsel, but he was so into ecstatic visions in the morning. He, he wasn't really present with the young man. The young man ended up going, committing suicide in 1914 uh, in World War I in Germany. And he, that's when he realized his religion was worthless. I never forgot that because um, 
not being present with people is my family of origin. It's the culture. It's definitely a leadership culture that I've been around, you know, my whole life. And so one of my uh, challenges for success daily, uh, again, weekly, quarterly in my life is, am I being present with the people in my midst? I love Jean Vanier's great quote. Jean Vanier is that French, uh, French-Canadian uh, who founded the Arch community. And, and he talks about his own struggle to be present, uh, to learn to be in communion with people and uh, how he struggled with it, but it was people with mental disabilities that actually helped him discover, he writes, to live in communion with someone. And he writes this, to be in communion means to be with someone, accepting people as they are with all their limits and inner pain, but also with their gifts and their beauty, to see the beauty inside of all the pain. To love someone is not, first of all, to do things for them, but to reveal to them their beauty and value, and to say to them through their attitude, you are beautiful, you are important. Uh, it's just wonderful. And so do, do you say, are you saying to the people around you by your presence, you're beautiful, you're important, you're a value. Uh, wow. And uh, that is just a great measure of success. Uh, and then finally, uh, success is, this is my ninth and, and final one I'll share with you is, uh, it's doing the hard work of determining the markers of success for your ministry. Uh, for your work at this season. So in other words, again, we're getting beyond numbers. It's a lot of work to think through how do we measure success, these in, these markers from ministry to ministry, context to context. And um, again, I can think of our, when, our, when I was leading our church, it's just a lot of work to do uh, to not just say, oh, we're going to grow in this amount of numbers or have this many small groups or maybe it might be launch a new church. Uh, but it may be something as simple as, you know, every leader uh, that I'm working with and my team will develop their relationship with God by spending X, you know, 10 to 30 minutes in prayer and scripture each morning and a few minutes in prayer each midday or evening. Or it might be that each will practice Sabbath for a 24-hour period or uh, everyone will seek to bring emotionally healthy skills into their ministries and the relationships that they're walking out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, some, some are hard to measure. Some are easier to measure. But the point is, it's it's vital that we wrestle with how are we going to measure some of these quality things that are tougher to get at than simply numerical numbers. Uh, it's painstaking work of discernment. And so even for myself, even for us now, as we lead emotional discipleship around the world, uh, yes, we've got whatever, 600 plus churches doing the courses, but our measurement is not uh, our number of churches doing the course. It has to do with the quality of uh, the core churches, uh, people doing the course level one, level two training, it's it's the quality of what's going on in the course. We had to work hard. How do we measure that? Um, I, you know, I, success for us is developing quality materials uh, for the vault to help churches doing the course level one or level two. It's for me. It's writing a theology that's got uh, clarity to it as well as depth to it, and it's nuanced. Uh, so writing. Uh, any book, and I'm actually working on one right now called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, uh, but taking the time to do that, even though it is very slow, uh, is success. Uh, it, it's, it's investing in a few for the next generation to make them great. Uh, again, another marker of success. So again, you got to work at that. So I've given you nine. Uh, there's a lot to think about there, uh, and I'll just review them real quick before we go here. Success is communion with Jesus, uh, number one. Number two, is success is... Uh, embracing the season God has you in. Thirdly, success is resisting the temptations of the evil one that are coming at you. Number four, success is trusting Jesus 
uh, for five successes, knowing that in your single or, or your marriages, your singleness or marriage, uh, the people, people around you actually know they're loved and lovable. You're actually living that out as a sign and wonder. Sixthly, success is receiving and embracing the limits that God's given you, the gifts he's put around you. Uh, seventhly, success is that you're, work, that you're experiencing ongoing transformation in Jesus yourself. Uh, eighthly, it's success is being present, actually loving the people who are right in front of you. And then finally, success is doing the hard work of determining uh, what is the quality markers of success uh, in what God you've asked me to do. So let me invite you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash lead and uh, go to the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, part one and part two, and, and download that uh, launch kit or training. I, the reason is, is listen, I, I, I say it over and over again because the way you're going to get into this is, is you've got to do some kind of a pilot and work through the material slowly of this course as a foundation for your own leadership. Now, it's a discipleship course for all the church around the world, but for those of us in leadership, we must master these things so we can nuance it in the complexity of leadership. Because again, all leadership is, is high-level discipleship. And so that's why working on your discipleship is number one. So I wouldn't worry first about bringing it to your church. I worry first about bringing it to you. So again, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash lead. Check that out. Uh, it is uh, well worth your time to invest in a revolution in the way that you do success. So God bless everybody. It's been great to be with you. Look forward to being with you next week. All right, take care.